1 Corinthians 14, Paul says, pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. For no one understands him. However, in the spirit, he speaks mysteries. But he who prophesies speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to men. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. But he who prophesies edifies the church. I wish that you all spoke with tongues, but even more that you prophesied. For he who prophesies is greater than he who speaks with tongues unless indeed he interprets that the church may receive edification or strengthening. But now, brethren, if I come to you speaking with tongues, what shall I profit you unless I speak to you either by revelation, by knowledge, by prophesying, or by teaching? Even things without life, whether flute or harp, when they make a sound, unless they make a distinction in the sounds, how will it be known what is piped or played? For if the trumpet makes an uncertain sound, who will prepare for the battle? So likewise you, unless you utter by the tongue words easy to understand, how will it be known what is spoken? For you will be speaking into the air. There are, it may be, so many kinds of languages in the world, and none of them is without significance. Therefore, if I do not know the meaning of the language, I shall be a foreigner to him who speaks, and he who speaks will be a foreigner to me. Even so, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, let it be for the edification of the church that you seek to excel. Therefore, let him who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. What is the conclusion then? I will pray with the spirit and I will also pray with the understanding. I will sing with the spirit and I will also sing with the understanding. Otherwise, if you bless with the spirit, how will he who occupies the place of the uninformed say amen or let it be so at your giving of thanks since he does not understand what you say for you indeed give thanks well, but the other is not edified. I thank my God that I speak with tongues more than you all. Yet in the church, I would rather speak five words with my understanding that I may teach others also than 10,000 words in a tongue. And Father, we humbly ask for the help and grace of your Holy Spirit this morning as we open the word of God once again, that your spirit would guide us into the truth of that which your spirit has given to us already in the record of your word. Bless our time, we ask in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen, amen. You may be seated. You know, in the Bible, we find on occasion different analogies, athletic analogies surface periodically, which leads me to ask this question this morning, is God into bodybuilding? Is that possible? Well, let me say, in a way, he actually is. In fact, I could go so far as to say that he even promotes bodybuilding. But let me explain what I mean by that. In the realm of natural athletics, bodybuilding is basically a sport or process to show off yourself, to impress other people, 
That's the concept of that sport. In the realm of spiritual life, bodybuilding is a much different thing. In the spiritual realm, bodybuilding is a much better and higher purpose because spiritual bodybuilding is a process whereby the Christian, exercising love and humility for others around them, particularly amongst the church, when we come together for worship, makes a foremost effort to invest into strengthening the lives of other people and building up the body of Christ and doing what they can in humility and love, being sensitive to others around them to help strengthen other Christians, where the end goal was not to kind of get the gold medal for being viewed as the most spiritual person, but in a sense, maybe to get the gold medal because you actually do the best in lovingly building up other people by denying yourself and thinking about what's best for the church when it assembles together as a whole. That is, when we come together, we seek to focus on building up the body of Christ as our main priority. And today's passage is about that very thing, about bodybuilding or building up and thinking about what builds up and strengthens the church foremost. And we'll see in it, as we go into the next section as well next time, a lot of instruction in this chapter about speaking in tongues and prophecy and how that relates to the church meetings. That is, when the body of Christ gathers Together. Remember, chapters 11 through 14, we've been looking at, give us instruction how to conduct ourselves properly as the church family during the times when we come together so that we can please the Lord and lovingly help others in the most profitable way that we can. And we've already looked at how he addresses the church operating like a body and how we all have our own part, just like different parts of a human body. And we function in an integrated way, both receiving something from the rest of the body as well as contributing something to the rest of the body so that the body can grow and that the church body can be strengthened and continue to experience the proper function God intends for the church family. And he's spoken how the Holy Spirit seeks to reveal or manifest his presence among the church in different ways to each one and through each one for the benefit of everybody. And particularly, we saw how the Holy Spirit at times by his power will work through these different spiritual gifts, these supernatural enablements that the Holy Spirit can give to a Christian to be able to serve in different ways. And he talked about how the most important thing, above all else, however, was love. And that the way of showing love, as we were open to the experiences of the Spirit, is what matters most. Now, as we come to chapter 14, at the closure of this section, he begins to speak specifically now about the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the meeting times of the Lord's people. That is, when we come together for times of worship and seeking the Lord. You'll notice repeated language directly referring to what's best for the church and what's best in the church. That is, while we're gathered together, that's the specific focus. This is not about the personal worship life of the believer. This is about the public worship life of believers when we assemble together. In fact, you'll notice if you glance down with me again, just in verse 18, where Paul says there, I thank my God that I speak in tongues more than you all. Verse 19, look what he says. Yet in the church, this is how I'd prefer to operate. When I'm in the church, he says, I, I take a different thought process 
rather than just what I do personally in my private life. He says, verse 23, therefore, look at it, if the whole church comes together in one place, like we're doing this morning, gathering together in one place as the church family. Verse 26, how is it, brethren, when you come together, he says. Again, the idea there is this is a passage where the context is not about the private worship life of the believer, but the public worship life of believers as we come together for our times of gathering. And the question becomes, how do we stay sensitive specifically to those times? And the real important thing is, what does God say in Scripture regarding the importance of how we are to operate when we do come together? And look, this is very important, that we let the Spirit of God who also gave to us the word of God. So there should be no contradiction there, right? This is inspired by the spirit of God, by the Holy Spirit. And when we are open to the ministry of the Holy Spirit, it's the same person, the same spirit of truth. And so therefore, it's important for us to realize there should never be contradiction. And the truth of the Spirit wants us to understand these things, and we need to be open to the ministry of the Holy Spirit because he brings life and power to the church. But we also, however, need to be operating in the boundaries of the Scripture, which the Holy Spirit gave to us, in order to stay in step with the reality, listen, of experiencing the Holy Spirit and not necessarily our human spirit. And there is a distinction. And sometimes that crossover is where at times we can get out of balance. Again, we don't utilize the Holy Spirit's teaching on the scripture. Then we're going to rely on other unsteady and unreliable ideas, which we can be prone to do. Our own human ideas about things or how we feel about something. But those things can be off target from time to time. And even as well, maybe just learned ideas or patterns that were taught to us by others or observed in church settings or gatherings of Christians. And as a result, we can do one of two things in mistake. We can discount beautiful, important works of the Holy Spirit in his ministry. Or on the other side of that, we can behave in an unorderly way spiritually, and that can be just as unhelpful. Always remember this, the goal of church meetings really is simplified in two things. It's about the glorification of Jesus, and it's about the edification of the church body. It's about the glorification of Jesus and the edification or building up of the church body. And chapter 14 mainly focuses now on some speaking gifts, and that makes total sense because those are the more public or outward giftings. Those are the things that are noticed when we gather together publicly. So look with me, verse one, as we go through this, Paul begins by saying, pursue love and desire. The the word literally there is to zealously long for spiritual gifts, but especially says that you may prophesy. So we notice we should long for the gifts of the Holy Spirit to be in operation. That's a good thing. They are good, important things to be happening among us. But the reason for it, he says here, should be that we love one another and that because we love one another as church family, we want to serve each other and strengthen one another. You notice the clear order here in verse one showing priority. He says, first and foremost, do what? First two words, pursue 
chase after, move towards, move in the direction of love. That is, love should be the motivation and reason why we want to operate in spiritual gifts. Love also should be the regulator for how we express spiritual gifts, how we yield and are open to the Holy Spirit, that we would practice the exercise of the gifts in love because love considers other. Remember Paul said in chapter 13, love doesn't parade itself to get attention. That's not loving. He says, love also doesn't seek its own. The idea is love doesn't say, I don't care what everybody else in the meeting desires. This is what I feel like doing. He says, love doesn't do that. You can do that at home, love would say. And he says, love as well doesn't behave rudely. What does it mean to behave rudely? It means you don't take into consideration that there are other people around you. You don't take into consideration the condition or the comforts of others. And he says, so therefore love would not do those things. So we're to pursue love first. That's the top priority. But he says in our attempt to be loving, then we should have a healthy desire to want to exercise the spiritual gifts. We should long for seeing them operate. And he says, however, notice verse one, but especially, he says, especially that you would prophesy. And he's going to talk more about this. That is prophecy being that speech that's inspired and directed by the Holy Spirit. Because again, we want what we say not to be directed by our human spirit, but we want to have words from the Holy Spirit to help other people. And he's going to talk about this is why especially we should want to prophesy because people need to hear God's voice. That's what helps people and strengthens people to hear the voice of God more than any human voice. Ultimately, Paul then goes on verse two to say, for he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God for no one understands him. However, in the spirit, he speaks mysteries, but he who prophesies contrasting word, but he who prophesies speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to men. But he who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. I wish you all spoke with tongues, he says, but even more that you prophesied for he who prophesies is greater than he who speaks with tongues unless indeed he interprets that the church may receive edification. So in these few verses here, Paul lays out the contrast between these two spiritual gifts. And even the purpose of those gifts, the value of them, and the benefit they bring. The two main concepts that are evident here is, first of all, the direction of our speech when we operate in those gifts. Who are those you know, gifts allowing us to communicate to? And he says, look, the direction of tongues is speech directed to God. And he says, when someone is prophesying, in contrast, that is speech directed to people. And we'll see more about that in a moment. The benefit of these two gifts is also different as well. Speaking in tongues is a legitimate spiritual gift that helps me. It builds my own soul up. And he says, prophecy is a spiritual gift that helps others and builds other people up spiritually. He speaks first about speaking in tongues in verse two by telling us that he who speaks in a tongue is not speaking to men, but to God. And no one understands him. However, in the spirit, he says he speaks mysteries. So notice 
he begins to talk about this gift here. We've already seen it before, talked a little bit about it. But what does speaking in tongues mean from a biblical perspective? And let me just say this morning, despite your current view that you may have on that subject or level of understanding or even comfort about it, I want to encourage you this morning to be open to what God's word says. Because it's important to remember, speaking in tongues, controversial as it may have become among the church, is a biblically legitimate spiritual gift to be exercised in a proper way. Again, in Mark chapter 16, before Jesus ascended back into heaven, he commanded his followers to go into all the world and to preach the gospel. And then Jesus went on to say this at the end of the chapter. These things will also follow those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons, heal the sick, and they will speak with new tongues. Jesus spoke about the legitimacy of the gift of speaking in tongues. We also see a revelation of the Holy Spirit's power causing this to happen in the early church on different occasions. In Acts chapter 2, they began speaking in tongues when the Holy Spirit was poured out. In Acts chapter 10, we see it once again. And then, of course, we also see this gift spoken about in New Testament letters very clearly in the book of 1 Corinthians here. So when a person is speaking in tongues, and literally the, the term that's used there for speaking in a tongue or tongues is where we get our English word languages. And really what is transpiring is the Holy Spirit, just like empowering people for other gifts, is supernaturally enabling a person to be gifted to communicate unto God, you might say in a special manner. You might say in an additional language beyond their known language that is given from the spirit. Notice the Bible is very clear here in verse two that when this gift is in operation, he says, when someone's speaking in tongues, take notice, please underline it. They are not speaking a message to other men. So when someone is praying in tongues or speaking in tongues, despite how you know, it may be implied if an interpretation supposedly comes afterwards, it is not a message to men. When someone is speaking in tongues, they're not communicating to people, but rather they are operating in that gifting from their inward spirit, he says here, in this deep way from within, he says they are communicating to God. You cannot be more clear when he says there in verse two, he who's speaking in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God, that is in this mysterious way beyond human understanding, superseding logical reasoning, the Spirit is giving them an additional ability in another language to communicate to God. One translation conveys this verse, I think, to give a little clarity. It says it this way, For if you have the ability to speak in tongues, you will be only talking to God. People won't be able to understand you. You will be speaking by the power of the Spirit, but it will all be mysterious. You know, if you were to define the gift of tongues, and I'm not saying it's the perfect definition, I would say it is a supernatural ability <clears throat> supplied by the Holy Spirit to be able to communicate to God in prayer or in praise. He even mentions singing later in the chapter in a language that you have never naturally learned or studied. 
That is, is not a known language to you mentally. However, it is a language that God knows. And again, it's important to remember, God knows all languages, right? I mean, we some of us just kind of think God only knows English because that's how we talk to God. God knows every language that exists so that all people can communicate to him in sincerity. So it's the ability to continue on in my communication to God beyond my logical thinking and my known natural language. Let me give an example. Have you ever been burdened in your soul and wanted to pray because you are so burdened in your soul about something and you can't even find the words to express? And you know you want to pray, but your soul is so burdened, you don't know how to articulate and even what words to express. Or have you ever been so blessed by God and so amazed at his greatness and and just longing to just want to praise him in a greater way and you're almost kind of just lost for words? You're just so amazed by God, you don't even know what words to use, yet you want to praise him. Well, listen, when I'm unable to properly communicate further by the limitation of our own words, and I just don't know how to say it or what to say, this is where this gift can come into play, whether in prayer or whether in praise. Speaking in tongues allows me to go past the limitations of my human intellect It keeps me from the restraint of my own natural words and helps me engage in deeper expression to God in supernatural enablement to communicate to God in a way that's not restricted by just my logical reasoning. The Holy Spirit helps us to continue on in prayer to God or to carry further in praise to God through that spiritual language he is giving to us, which he says we do not understand logically what we're communicating, but the good news is this. God knows what we're saying. God understands that utterance because God is giving that language to help us bypass the human reasoning and carry deeper in communication, and he understands those utterances. In Acts chapter 2, there when we see the gift of of speaking in tongues happening, it says the believers were all gathered together in prayer. Remember in the upper room, they're seeking the Lord, waiting in God's presence, and the Holy Spirit is poured out, and it tells us this, Acts 2. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And they were there dwelling in Jerusalem, men from every nation under heaven. And when the sound occurred, the multitude came together and confused. That is, they were perplexed. What's going on? Because everyone, listen, heard them speaking in his own language. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not all these who speak Galilean, the idea is northern Jews? How is it? that we hear this each in our own languages in which we were born. We hear them speaking in our own tongues or our own languages, the wonderful works of God. So as all of these Jewish people were there and the Holy Spirit was poured out, they began manifesting in this spiritual gift of speaking in tongues. And it says there were people gathered from all other different nations and they started hearing all their own native languages. And they're saying, how are these Jewish people speaking in 
fluent Persian and, and all these other languages. And what's going on? How's this happening here? And they could hear them. And it says when they heard them, what were they doing? They says that they were speaking the wonderful works of God proclaiming praise in these other languages. Acts chapter 10, again, when the baptism of the Holy Spirit was poured out on the church at Antioch, a different church, it says the believers there heard them speak with tongues, and it says they heard them magnifying God. Notice, the Holy Spirit tells us in the word of God that speaking in tongues, they were magnifying God. The other passage says they were declaring his wonderful works. That is, praise was being expressed to God. And here in our chapter as well, again, if you just glance over to verse 16 and 17, look what it says as well regarding speaking tongues. If you bless with the spirit, he says, how will the person who doesn't understand say amen at your giving of thanks since he doesn't understand what you say? Indeed, you give thanks well. So the truth of scripture is very clear what tongues is when it's transpiring through the life of a believer. So let's embrace God's truth, not the ideas of men or not even the teachings of the doctrines of some particular church. Notice how incredibly clear it is praise, it is thanksgiving, it's worship being given to God when a person is exercising this gift. It's deep, meaningful communication coming from a person's inward spirit as the Holy Spirit gives them this grace. And that is why he says right here in verse two, no one understands. No one understands what's being said. Why? Well, here, I'll tell you the first reason, because it's not a message for them. It's a message for God. That's why, whether it be the speaker or the listener, our own mind doesn't understand because it's not speaking to them. It's speaking unto God. Now, he draws the contrast in verse 3 by telling us this. But he who prophesies, a different spiritual gift, speaks edification, exhortation, and comfort to men. So here he's drawing a contrast now with the gift of prophecy, which, as I said, is when the Holy Spirit uses us to speak a message for God. So in prophecy, the Holy Spirit puts an impression on a particular Christian's mind or heart you might say of certain maybe words or statements a few statements or sentences in a brief way to basically declare something that god once said to another person or to a group of people it's when god uses a christian as his instrument to say something that he once spoken on the earth to someone or to a group of individuals and we become God's instrument to convey that. In essence, you might say, it's like we become God's cell phone, right? The phone doesn't do the speaking. I speak, it goes through this device so that others can hear it. Well, in a sense, that's what happens. We become the device, the instrument, the, the microphone, the cell phone, where God speaks through us something that he once said on this earth. And three distinctive characteristics are given here in verse three of a New Testament spirit-led prophecy he says three things he who prophesies either speaks edification that's a term that speaks of building up so there the prophetic word is going to bring strengthening or it's going to build up or inspire a person or the church or he says a prophecy sometimes can bring exhortation 
And that means to bring encouragement to act. That's what exhortation is. It's stirring a person towards doing the right thing. Maybe they know what's right to do, but they need a little little kick in the butt to get moving in that direction. It stirs them up. Hey, come on. You need to step into that. You need to act upon what you know is right. It's kind of that challenge to step out and go forward in obedience. Or a third characteristic of a prophetic word is it could also bring comfort, he says, to men. That is a word in season. Maybe to someone who's weary or hurting to cheer them up, maybe speaking a word of assurance about God's love or grace or God's faithfulness, that God is going to assist in the midst of the hardship or some failure that's happened or fear or painful experience. Prophecy brings that comforting word at times to the person who may need to hear it. So again, New Testament prophecy, the Bible teaches, is predominantly going to be positive and uplifting It's going to cause a person to feel encouraged or strengthened or to feel comforted to keep going forward. Paul says there in verse 4, He who therefore speaks in a tongue edifies, builds up himself, but, contrast again, he prophesies, edifies the church. He says, that's why I wish that you all spoke with tongues But even more, he says, I wish that you prophesied. And he who prophesies, he says, is therefore greater than he who speaks with tongues. So the Holy Spirit, again, through Paul here, conveys the value and the purpose, you might fairly say, of these two gifts. And the reasoning for why prophecy among the church, Paul says, is actually better and of higher value. In the beginning of verse 4, we learn here what the purpose is is that God has given the gift of speaking in tongues for. He says very clearly in verse 4, when someone speaks in a tongue, they edify themselves. Now, this is the only spiritual gift that God has dispersed amongst people that's intended, notice, for self-edification. That is to build our own self up. God graciously has supplied this one spiritual gift for those who operate in it, to build up their own soul, to be able to help strengthen themselves. Again, its purpose is to build up your inward spirit if your inward spirit is weighed down or burdened or feeling weak. It's a way to unburden a heavy heart in deep communication to God or expressing deeper praise to God. And in so doing, as you exercise the gift, your inward spirit is strengthened. You're renewed inwardly in the inward man and you're uplifted spiritually. And that is why it would make sense. The gift of speaking tongues should typically be used in a very limited manner among gatherings of the Lord's people, because it really has very minimal value to others around, particularly if they can't even understand what the person is saying. If they can't get anything out of it, it's predominant use, I believe, biblically, is really mainly for the personal private worship life of the believer to build up their own soul. Now, in contrast, he says in verse four, he who prophesies, speaks a word from the Lord, is going to edify or build up the church, strengthening others. And that's why Paul says in verse five, it's actually the better gift in the church, among the assembly of God's people. Now, let me just say, Paul's not speaking 
or, 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 or talking about speaking in tongues in a negative light. And, and, and don't take that idea here. Paul's not saying, yeah, that's speaking in tongues. Paul's not doing that. What Paul is saying is, is all I can tell you is when we come together as the church, out of love for one another, it's much greater to prophesy if you love other people because that's what's going to help other people more, right? And Jesus said it's more blessed to give than to receive. So he's saying speaking in tongues is great to build yourself up. It's a gift from the Lord. But he says prophecy builds up other people. It helps strengthen the whole church and, and is very beneficial. The only way speaking in tongues ever has a degree of helpfulness is if it is actually interpreted and others can understand what's being said to God in the praise or the prayer. And what would that sound like? And I don't want to talk much about that this morning for sake of time. It would sound much like a psalm like expressing praise and worship unto God, because that's really what is transpiring. He says, verse six, going on, but now, brethren, if I come to you, he says, speaking with tongues, if I come for a visit or to worship with you, speaking with tongues, what shall I profit you, he says, unless I speak to you instead, either by a revelation or by knowledge or by prophesying or by teaching. So speaking in tongues publicly, you might fairly say it draws attention to oneself, right? It's kind of hard to hide that if you're doing it publicly in front of others. But Paul says it rarely offers much value. That's why when I'm with you, he says, I would much rather speak understandable words, he's going to say, that actually do something to impart something helpful for you. Paul says, I'd rather communicate some clear message that you can glean from because clear and understandable speech is going to offer way more value to others who are listening. So Paul says, when I'm with you, when I gather with you, I'd rather share with you a revelation that is revealed to you some spiritual truth to further your awareness or understanding or to impart, he says, to you some greater spiritual knowledge to help you increase in the knowledge of God or develop in the knowledge of his word or his will or his ways, or he says, verse six, or to bring you perhaps a prepared teaching, something that can instruct you on spiritual matters. Cause he says, this is what helps when we gather together as the church. But if I come to you and just speak with tongues, he says, is that really going to benefit you very much? Now, Paul's going to use this idea and press home the need for understanding to be helped to walk in truth spiritually. And he's going to begin to illustrate this now. Look what he says, verse seven. He says, even things without life, whether a flute or a harp, when they make a sound, unless they make a distinction in the sounds, that is notes or melodies, how will it be known which is piped or played? So he uses the analogy of musical instruments and the need to understand clearly what the sounds actually are to get anything of value out of it, right? If someone plays an instrument, Tommy played guitar for us this morning, there are certain notes that you're supposed to use, a G or a C or a D. And if you play those notes and you play a certain tune and melody, well, then it becomes useful. Okay, we can understand, we can track with that, we can all engage in the melody and, and sing the song. If I were to close in worship this morning, you probably wouldn't sing along. I could whack on the guitar, but if there were no distinctions in the sounds, you would just be confused. In fact, you'd probably be very bothered by it. And just can you please stop? Dismiss us early. But, but 
what Paul's saying is, is even when things like sounds of music, it's the distinction, the clarity in the sounds that allows others to benefit and participate with it. And he's using this in the analogy of speaking in tongues together with others. He said sometimes speaking in tongues can actually have a negative effect. It's like a bunch of sound that people don't, you know, kind of connect with, and, and they're just not even really grasping what's going on, and it actually becomes something where they don't understand, and they're just confused and not really helped. He goes on, verse 8, to use another analogy, for if the trumpet makes an uncertain sound, who will prepare for the battle? Now, there's another analogy they understood. In ancient culture, they used certain types of blasts of the trumpet to communicate things to the troops, what they were supposed to do in response. So a certain trumpet blast meant rally for battle. Another trumpet blast meant it's time to head to the mess hall. Food's ready. Another trumpet blast meant attack. Another one might have meant retreat. Well, if you played the wrong trumpet blast or you just blasted on a trumpet in an uncertain way, the troops wouldn't know, are we going to the mess hall to eat? Or are we rallying for the battle? Or, or if you're in the battle, are we supposed to attack? Or are we supposed to retreat? And he says, that wouldn't be good for anybody. You have to have clarity in the sound that people can understand and participate with. He then goes on to drive home the connection with application. Verse 9, he says, so likewise, unless you utter by the tongue, that is by your mouth, words easy to understand with clarity, how will it be known? What is spoken, he says, It'll be like you're just speaking into the air. So if someone or a group of people start exercising the gift of praying in tongues, he says, when there's an assembly meeting and nobody knows what's being said, nobody understood the communication because it's mysterious and it's not understandable when you're together, he says, nobody is going to get anything that's going on. It's going to be like a bunch of noise just going into the air. It doesn't really have any value, he's saying here. Again, love should make us want to utter words foremost that people understand, where there's clarity and connection so that others can participate. Love should make us want our prayers and our speech when together with God's people to be something that others can connect with so they can participate in the blessing, so that they can join in in the worship and that we become of one heart and one mind as the church family, the idea so that all the teams on the same page, as we might say, so that together we can serve the Lord. Paul goes on verse 10 to say, there may be also many kinds of languages in the world. And none of them, he says, is without its significance or importance. So he indicates in the world, God is allowed to be the existence of multitudes of different languages, right? There are hundreds of different languages on this globe that God has allowed to exist. And all those languages are real languages. They are legitimate sounds people are making to communicate to those who understand that particular language. Paul goes on to say, verse 11, therefore, if I do not know the meaning of that language, I shall be a foreigner to him who's speaking. And he who speaks will be a foreigner to me. So again, he's illustrating this idea to make a point again. He reminds us how if we don't understand the language that someone else around us is speaking, it all sounds what? Foreign to us. 
right? If it's not our natural known language, we say that's a foreign language. It's foreign to us. We don't understand what the sounds mean. We get no benefit out of listening to a foreign language. And what happens? You feel kind of then disconnected, right? If you've ever been with someone else, around someone else, in an airport, and and you just hear a foreign language, which is a legitimate language, you don't really get much benefit out of listening to it. You, You kind of just feel disconnected. And if someone's doing it in front of you, sometimes you even wonder what they're saying. Like, are they making fun of me? Or that, is that what they're doing? Because you don't know what they're saying. It almost kind of makes you feel a little bit uneasy sometimes because you don't know exactly what they're saying. And if we were to be honest, sometimes we hear someone speaking another language and our rational thinking in our logical mind hears all these peculiar sounds of their foreign language. And I can tell you the truth. I thought to myself before, do those sounds actually mean something? Really? I mean, it just it seems so bizarre to our logical thinking. How do those sounds actually mean something? But here's the thing. They do. Those sounds actually do mean something. And to those who understand it, it is legitimate, significant communication. Same idea Paul's saying is an illustration here with the gift of speaking in tongues. As the Holy Spirit gives someone this prayer language, this praise language from the Spirit... It may sound like foreign sounds, foreign words. How does, and and you could almost hear it. And how, how do those sounds actually mean something? How, How could that possibly mean something? Well, listen, just because our understanding doesn't comprehend what the sounds mean, doesn't mean it's not a legitimate language, right? Just like with natural foreign languages and to God who understands the language those utterances of those sounds make complete, clear sense to him. And he understands the communication. But to us, maybe who may be exercising the gift, it may sound like foreign language to us in our own head. And it may sound like a foreign language to others around us that's not very beneficial. That's why Paul drives home the point from verse 12 to 19 to kind of make the application he's wanting to hear. He says, verse 12, even so you, since you're zealous, he says, for spiritual gifts, which is good, let it be for the edification, the building up and strengthening of the church that you seek to excel. So he says, look, it's good to want to be open to the experience of the Holy Spirit's ministry. It's good to want to exercise spiritual gifts. We need the power of the spirit among the church body. But Paul says, but make sure your focus is to seek to try and edify and build up the church above all other things. That should be our desire foremost. He says, verse 13, therefore, let him who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret. So if the Holy Spirit should genuinely In a given situation, if some mature believers together, they're praying, they're seeking the Lord. And I think if it happens together with others, that this is the proper setting. Mature believers who understand these things, they want to be open to these things. And he says, if you should be prompted to pray in tongues or to praise the Lord in tongues out loud, then he says, you better pray, you interpret right away. And he's going to talk more about this later in the chapter. We'll see this next time where he's going to actually say, if there is no interpretation, then that gift should not be exercised anymore at that point. 
In verse 14, he now tells us more about what happens when a person operates in this gift. Look what he says. He says, for if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding, that is my logical reasoning to understand things, is unfruitful. That is, it's it's unable to glean or get anything out of it. The mind doesn't understand it. So when a person exercises this gift, I'm speaking in tongues, their natural understanding, the Bible says, is not going to comprehend it. It's not going to make sense to the mind. However, in an act of faith, the spirit is expressing these sounds and words, believing that the Holy Spirit of God is directing them to use those utterances to communicate unto almighty God. Another translation renders this this way. For if I pray in tongues, my spirit is praying, but I don't understand what I am saying. See, when you pray in tongues, your logical mind does not understand the sounds uttered. And I can tell you that is how it works. It supersedes your logical thinking. That is also why, listen, why it requires a measure of faith to be open if you want to, to exercise this gift because it supersedes logical thinking. The mind doesn't grab it. You have to be willing to humbly disregard your own human understanding and allow the Holy Spirit of God to guide you in the exercise of this gift, realizing that God is much deeper than my finite mind. But God is much greater than my minuscule logical thinking in my brain. He says, verse 15, what is the conclusion then? I will pray with the spirit and I will also pray with my understanding, my natural reasoning. I will sing with the spirit and I will also sing with understanding. This is Paul's personal conclusion as a Christian who possessed, obviously, this spiritual ability to speak in tongues. Paul says, at times I communicate to God in my natural understanding using my logical thinking and my primary language to communicate to God. And at other times, when he sensed it was needed, or he sensed that he needed to for his own soul, or he desired to, then he would speak unto God from the inward spirit as the Holy Spirit guided and enabled him to exercise this gift of speaking in tongues to communicate to God. Notice, please, in verse 15 here, very clearly these I will statements. You can't miss them. There's multiple I will statements indicating Paul chose in a voluntary way, listen, when and if he needed at time to time to exercise the gift of tongues. He was able to control when he switched from normal communication to God to communicating to God in the gift of speaking in tongues. And Paul had complete willpower and control over that. God tells us, I don't care what the church may represent from time to time, God tells us in his word, a person has full control when operating in this gift of the spirit. Listen, let me say this morning, because it's important. It's not as if the Holy Spirit just takes you over and you entered into into an altered state of consciousness. 
where somehow you no longer have any control and God hijacks your will and you lose control of your mind and you lose control of your mouth and the Holy Spirit just takes over and makes you utter these sounds in some bizarre way and you just can't help yourself. That's not what the Bible teaches. Paul here says, look, when I'm praying and when I'm singing, I can start and stop exercising this gift of speaking in tongues whenever I will to. Whenever I want to, I can start and stop. It's under my own willpower. God does not overrule us and remove our self-control. He's going to say later in this chapter, the spirit of the prophet is subject under the control of the prophet or the one speaking. And look, I can tell you in all humility as one who operates in this gift, that is exactly how it works. You can control if and when you decide to exercise this gift or not. Notice as well, the I will statement, I believe, refers to a degree of human willingness, you might say, to be open to operating in this gift. Paul says, I will do this. I will sing in the spirit. I will speak to God in the spirit. Again, it's not necessary to operate in this spiritual gift. The Bible says not all people will operate in the spiritual gift. You can have a healthy Christian life and you're no less spiritual if you don't operate in this particular gifting of the spirit. But according to scripture, the Bible says that it's something that can be a very helpful asset to the Christian life to help you in the building up of your own soul. This gift has a very helpful asset. It's a blessed addition and enhancement, if you would, to your spiritual life from time to time to a degree If you're going to have a willing attitude, that's a part of the process to exercise this gift. There needs to be a level of willingness, a desirousness within you if you're going to be open to see if this gift is something God wants to bring to pass in your life. And again, trying to be helpful here, just drawing from my own experience, because that's the only thing I can legitimately draw from. I can tell you that to me was how ultimately this came to pass in my life, understanding the truth of God's word, believing these things to be true, desiring those things. I found that as I began to seek the Lord and as I was in prayer, that best way I could say is certain sounds or words started coming into my mind and I just was willing to believe in faith that the Holy Spirit was directing that and I just began to utter those words or sounds or whatever you want to call them. And there was just this willingness, Lord, I've been talking to you with my understanding and I'm willing and I believe this is legitimate if it's something that you want to do in my life. And this was how this gift began to come to pass in my own life. Paul here is a mature believer using the gift indicates, however, when he's together with others, look what he's saying here, he purposely regulated his use of this gift. See what he says, verse 16? Otherwise, if you bless with the Spirit, how will he who occupies the place of the uninformed, the person around you who doesn't understand, say amen? What does amen mean? Let it be so, right? It means let it be so, I agree with that. So he says, if when I'm with other people, I start praying or praising the Lord in the spirit and other people don't understand around me what I'm saying. They're not going to be able to agree together with me in that prayer, in that praise. They're kind of detached. They they can't, you know, track with what I'm doing. It lacks any real benefit 
to others around me. Again, another translation says it this way. For if you praise God only in the spirit, how can those who don't understand around you praise God along with you? How can they join in giving of thanks when they don't understand what you're saying? You'll be giving thanks very well, but it won't strengthen the people around you who hear you. This is what Paul's saying. He says, verse 17, indeed, you do give thanks well. He says, but the other nearby you isn't edified. Paul's conclusion, verse 18, I thank my God I speak with tongues more than you all. Yet in the church, I would rather speak five words with my understanding, clear, understandable words, that I may teach other also than 10,000 words in a tongue. Now, let me remind you, the church at Corinth was a very charismatic church. They're to be commended for that. They were very open to the ministry of the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And they were very open to speaking in tongues. That's why Paul's having to write a whole chapter about this. And Paul, speaking to this church that was very open to things, he says, look what he says, verse 18. He says, look, I pray in tongues more than all of you there in Corinth. I exercise this gift more than all of you. Verse 19, first part of it, underline it, yet in the church. Yet when I assemble with you, when I'm together with you for a time of being together in a large group meeting of the church where Christians are at various different levels of their spiritual understanding, they're at all different levels of their spiritual maturity. They may have all different ideas doctrinally about certain things where there may be non-Christians among you in the church gathering. He says, in those times, I regulate the gift. I regulate the gift. He said, I would rather, if you give me the opportunity to say five simple words to teach you something than to pray 10,000 words in a tongue and occupy the entire meeting doing that. And let me just say how that resonates with my spirit as a spiritual leader as well and as a Christian. Again, if I can, just for the sake of illustration, again, trying to do the best I can to draw from my own experience, as I've exercised this gift, I have always done it in a purposeful, controlled manner according to the word of God. Do I exercise this gift in my personal prayer life and worship time? Yes. May I do it at times quietly in a prayer meeting? Yes. At times, even when we are singing collectively in church gatherings, I have done it as well. Yet when I choose to do it, I do it in a reserved way so as to be loving to other people that are nearby me. Again, why is that important? Because I don't want to draw attention to myself. I don't want to draw attention to myself. I don't need others to hear me when I pray in tongues. First of all, I'm not talking to them. I'm talking to God. I don't need you to hear me. I'm talking to God. It's a private conversation, all right? I don't need other people to hear me or to notice that I can do that. Nor do I want to distract or stumble other people around me. So if it's noisy and we're singing or praying, I can do it in a very reserved way where I can articulate those words in self-control without doing something to stumble or bother others but yet sincerely expressing this prayer and praise unto the Lord. Love will always ask in a meeting, is what I'm doing blessing God and is what I'm doing benefiting and blessing other people? Because we want people to leave gatherings saying, hey, 
I felt very built up there. That was like a time at the spiritual gym. Man, I got strengthened spiritually and that they walk away doing better. Let's stand together.